Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. Okay, Mr. Davis, how about we do some tech gumbo today? Sounds great. As we like to do here in our first segment, we like to do the news and updates. And let's start with the NSA has reported some of the dumbest cybersecurity mistakes even large organizations are making. And they're going to fall under the dumbest mistakes. And if you are a listener of the show, you'll know why they're the dumbest, because we talk about them. And if the two of us can figure out, hey, don't do this then giant corporations who employ armies of IT people should definitely not be doing these things. It turns out that just forgetting to change the default passwords is the number one big mistakes that companies, large and small, do on a regular basis. Another one is improper separation of user and admin privileges. Not everyone needs to be an admin. Not everyone should be an admin. You know, whenever it's just you and your personal computer, obviously you're an admin and your own house. But whenever you have hundreds or thousands of machines, you need some restrictions there. If you're going to allow employees to be admins on their own machines, then you have to set up two separate profiles. And the employee uses the non-admin profile on a regular basis. But if they need to add something, then they can put in the admin password from the other profile. That's how you get around that. But you need to protect your computers because when you're an admin on that computer and you click on malware, malware can run crazy on your computer, but not when you're not an admin. And you know, whenever you're concerned about cybersecurity attacks like that, another way to protect it is with multi-factor authentication. We talk so much about two-factor or multi-factor here. It is easy to set up. It is easy to use in most cases, and it's getting even easier. And the fact that a lot of companies have a weak or misconfigured MFA is just completely inexcusable. I cannot tell you how many times we have beat the, the drum for poor password management and this is the reason why pass keys are becoming a thing. That's why 
you're going to see more and more biometrics take over, and we're going to get away from passwords within the next couple of years so that we won't have to talk about this ever again, hopefully. I'm sure it will still have it in some format, just because there's always going to be those people who hold out, always people who are a little slow to update. But if you're one of the people who works at a company who sees some of these problems, tell somebody, because this is how you end up with much larger problems. Moving along, staying in the cybersecurity realm, the New York State Department of Financial Services is very confident in their own cybersecurity rules, and they're actually working to make them more and more stringent. Yes, they initially released some cybersecurity rules back in 2017, but very recently they've gone back and updated them. We've learned a lot about cybersecurity in the past six years, and you know the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, has released its own set of rules. And in some cases, the rules from the New York State DOFS are actually more specific and go into more detail. They've actually said that the the Bank Policy Institute and the American Bankers Association and several other lobbying groups have all come out and said that the the Office of the National Cyber Institute needs some harmonizing. But the DFS has said, hey, look, our policies are much more stringent and they're quite sufficient and we'll do our thing. Y'all go do yours. Well, their argument also is that other uh, agencies and other states have already adopted this model law system. And so this model law goes into things like how long do you have to disclose that you've been hacked? It also goes into details around what type of proactive steps you should be taking. And so, you know, if it's the difference between you have 72 hours to report you've been hacked versus 60 hours to report you've been hacked, okay, I don't think that's a huge discrepancy that's worth squabbling over. You should report it as soon as possible, and I I don't think that those 12 hours are really the the make-or-break portion of this legislation. Good for the... New York State Department of Financial Services, which, oh, by the way, the Wall Street is in the middle of. And it's probably a good thing that they're even more stringent than everything else, because so much of what happens on Wall Street runs the rest of the world. Oh, absolutely. That when it comes to our financial services, having strong cybersecurity policies is a very good thing. If they're going to make dumb financial decisions, let them make dumb financial decisions. But at least they can say, ah, the model said I should have done this. If some hacker gets in, that's what we're trying to stop. Speaking of trying to stop things, we have talked about robocalls over the several years. The FCC has said they're going to put a stop to these and They've put all these new policies in place and called all these telecom companies onto the carpet and read them the riot act, and we're still getting more calls than ever. A company called Umail, which is an app which helps screens robocalls, they release their monthly reports, and looking at the data going back to all the way to 2018, 2019, it's down a little bit from what it was at its peak in 2018, 2019, but... Since 2021, 2022, we're still pretty much exactly where we were. Yes, and there are some reports are saying that there are actually fewer obnoxious scam calls, but there's still more robocalls because you're getting 
other things like health medical insurance calls, you're getting reminder calls, and a lot of those calls, while they can be annoying if they're too many, they're not actually scam calls. That's the point here is I'd be interested to see a breakdown of what is the percentage of this number for scams? Because obviously we're trying to reduce scams, and that's really where a lot of the FCC has been targeting is those people who are not who they say they are. But telemarketing has been part of the American phone system for decades now. And so if you have your alerts and your reminders are roughly the same size as your telemarketing, and they're both those two combined are much larger than your scams, well... Alerts and reminders, maybe I don't love them, but I understand why there could be some valid use cases for it. And you pointed out health reminders, that whenever your doctor's office sends you a phone call, hey, you have an appointment tomorrow, or whenever your pharmacy says sends you a phone call, hey, your prescription's ready to be picked up. For a lot of people, that is actually a very useful application of this technology. And so that's why we're not trying to just ban this across the board, especially for senior citizens who don't necessarily want an email or they don't want a notification from an app, having them get a phone call makes a lot of sense. And that's why this is such a tough problem to police is that some of these are good and it's just you have to peel apart all the different layers in order to properly understand what's happening here. So you say, well, where are most of these calls happening? Well, when you're talking about the total number of calls, Atlanta, Dallas, and Chicago are the number one, two, and three, but they're also pretty big when it comes to population. The city of Baton Rouge continues to punch above our weight class in terms of calls received, and it just absolutely fascinates me that we're close to 50 robocalls per person per month here. And the number two city, Memphis, is at 39 so, I mean, we're getting 10 more robocalls per person here in Baton Rouge than the number two city, Memphis, and the number three city, 35 calls. So we're getting 15 calls per month more than these other markets because we're in Baton Rouge. Yeah, we are sitting at close to two per day, whereas third place is one per day. That is double. That is just an astounding rate. And I still have yet to see any sort of explanation as to what is it about the 225 area code that just has robocall me written all over it. Well, I remember the first time we did this story, one of the reasons is because in Baton Rouge, we answer the phone. We just so polite, we answer, well, if they're calling me, I need to answer them. But why is Baton Rouge different than Lafayette or different than New Orleans? With the 337 versus the 504 are we really that much different? I don't know. Interesting, the area codes with the most robocalls, 404 in Atlanta. Again, Atlanta being over, overly popular. The, they get almost 62 calls per person. But there is in the 225, still shows up at that 48. We're number two as far as area codes. And... I mean, it's just amazing that little old Baton Rouge is just pumping out their punch, like you said, punching way above our weight class. So moving along, Tesla has come out and decided that when you buy a Cybertruck, when they go on sale next year, 
you're going to have to go one whole year before you can sell that truck. This was fascinating. They put out a new policy saying that if you try and sell your car before that one year time period, Tesla can sue you. They could seek injunctive relief to prevent the transfer of the title of vehicle. And if they found out you actually did it without them knowing, they might demand liquidated damages from you for $50,000. So they mean this. They will sue you. They will take you to court and charge you for selling your vehicle early. We found one article from Electric that said, this is common when it comes to rare vehicles and that Tesla is doing this to keep people from buying that, that cyber truck for $50,000 and turn around selling it the next day for $100,000 because there's a, there's a back order of a million of these car, these cyber trucks waiting. And okay, that's kind of plausible, but it also just feels kind of there's something more there. That article that we cited from Electruck, they described it as haughty because you see these types of policies around Ferraris. That's that, you know, much, much more expensive, much, much more rare that Tesla says that the Cybertruck productions are going to be one hundred twenty five thousand per year next year, whereas Ferrari might make one hundred twenty five of their vehicles. And so th this is not the same ballpark here. And my question, again, we don't know because Tesla doesn't have a PR company and they released only one single paragraph about this, is are they actually more concerned about people who buy this truck, drive it for three months and says, this is a piece of junk, I want to get rid of it? That's my question, because why not just prevent a cap on the sale? If you say, okay, if people want to buy it, drive it for three months and then resell it, for the initial retail price, that seems like it would be fine. But if you were people selling it for much less than what they paid for, that seems like it's much closer to what this policy actually does. Now, if you do really, really have to sell the vehicle, let's say financial problems or whatever, you have to reach out to Tesla and sell it back to them. You cannot put it on the market. Oh, by the way, they're going to take 25 cents per mile off for every mile that you've driven. And if Tesla decides, you know what, no, nah, we're not going to buy it from you, then you can go on and sell it on the third party. But you have to get that letter from them saying you've, you've, you've driven that thing too much. You've beat it up too bad. Now nah, go ahead and sell it. It's not worth it for us to buy it back. Those are going to be pretty rare instances, my guess. And I, the thing is not an attractive looking vehicle to begin with. In my opinion, I wouldn't want one. Don't even want to ride in one. Be interesting how to see how this this plays out. And it's that point is so fascinating is that one, as you pointed out, it is just shaped so very differently than the other Tesla vehicles, which are sleek and smooth and round and look aerodynamic. That's already just a strange deviation. They also are trying to put those Tesla, you know, the Roadster, the Model S, the Model X, whatever, the Model 3 into people's hands, as many as they can. They don't have these policies on those vehicles and never have had these policies on those vehicles. And so this is something new that they're doing, and that's what makes it especially strange. The next thing we wanted to get into was the EVs 
are struggling to sell and hybrids are now all of the craze. This is a problem. My thought process here is that this is more of a behavioral problem than a technological problem. I think that we spent a lot of time with people thinking of EVs as that 2009 Nissan Leaf and that they weren't very nice to look at. They had a very small range and that they were very limited. And that's not really the case anymore. That's their range is much closer to a gasoline engine that some of them do actually look very nice. The problem you run into is people just are still thinking about it as where do I refill? Where, you know, when do I put more fuel in the tank? You know, that will require behavioral change, which is, I think, actually going to be easier in the long term. But the more pressing issue in the short term is just the price that the GM Equinox, they estimated originally it would be roughly $30,000, debuted at $50,000. And most passenger cars in America are between a twenty-five dollars and $35,000 range. And so to come in at $50,000, you're just pricing people out of the market. And by the way, with interest rates where they are, that makes that even more expensive. So it's really out of most people's pocket. I mean, you know, you can get a $400, $500 a month car note. In some people, it's only $300 car note. Well, you're not going to get that with a $50,000 car in, in a 7% interest rate. Because we did the math on this one time, looking at the difference in a hybrid versus an EV and how much money you are saving in terms of your fuel costs and versus the cost of the vehicle. And hybrids came out really competitively. And so that's kind of the place where we are right now is that hybrids are a good mixture right now for people who they want to do something where it is an electric vehicle because you will save money after a couple of years, depending on exactly the, the prices of everything. Within two to five years, you will have saved money with that hybrid. And so this is an investment and it's something wherever, you know, you can feel good about yourself because you are doing something for the environment, but also you're saving money on that hybrid. And so maybe it is a couple more years before America really has made that full transition into the EV swing. The last story we wanted to get to is one that is just so fascinating. NASA has sent a software update to Voyager 2 which, oh, by the way, is 12 billion miles away from Earth. This is just truly amazing that it took 18 hours to send that message because that's how long it takes to travel 12 billion miles at the speed of light. This is just absolutely incredible. When you consider that Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, when they took off in the early 70s from Earth, both of them, they literally had an 8-track cassette player as their memory storage. An 8-track that could hold about 50, maybe 60 megs of data. And this thing has been going for 50 years now. That's so amazing. And NASA has come out and said that with these changes, this, these changes are going to keep going. That's the are allowed to continue now until at least 2026. And they have plans that they think they can stretch it into the 2030s. And so this is just so, so cool. 
to think we've sent two different satellites out beyond our solar system. They're out there in interstellar space, just going forever until one of them comes back as V'ger in a Star Trek movie in 300 years. This is something cool we like to talk about. This is truly the limits of human capacity, human technology, human ingenuity. We've never done anything like this. And (laughs) frankly, it's going to be a long time until we can catch this or match this with something even further. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.